Join us this year on the 16th to 17th of June 2021 for the All Day All Night, the only live 24-hour higher education conference focused on everything digital and social. We are offering all Education Burrito listeners a special discount code. Just type in Ed Burrito in the voucher section to get 20% off your ADAN21 tickets now. So what are you waiting for? Follow us on Twitter at ADANConf and visit our website on www.alldayallnight.social. Hello and thank you so much for tuning into the Education Burrito, podcast that unwraps the everyday challenges in learning and teaching in education, exploring the ins and outs and highs and lows and different pedagogy approaches, enhancing student engagement amongst everything in education. My name is Q-Sum, and each episode I'll be joined by special guests as we unwrap the education burrito. So for this episode, I wanted to learn a bit about, you know, something else other than my day job. So I'm super excited to be joined in this episode by someone who is a very experienced language educator, having worked in secondary and tertiary sectors during their career. They were an early adopter of technology for teaching and learning languages and have played an active role in the computer-assisted and computer-media languages learning communities. They're an open educational practitioner, a learning technologist, and lead the Association for Learning Technologies Open Education Special Interest Group. As a former of the Computer Mediated Communication Special Interest Group for Eurocore, they have been instrumented in promoting their open education conference each year, championing the community involvement and governments for members in the UK as well as across the world. Also, part of the EU Evolve team, which is a project to support the normalisation of online intercultural exchange, they have innovated in assessment for learning, leading the international team in the implementation of e-portfolio assessment. With the fantastic work they have done, they are certified member of the Association for Learning Technology, senior fellow of the Higher Education Academy, a 2009 award winner for the teaching excellence in the institution and more so was recognised for their outstanding contribution by being awarded the Honorary Life Membership of ALT. Can you guess who's joining me today? It's the wonderful Teresa McKinnon. Teresa, welcome to the podcast. Wow, I'm blown away by that introduction. Thank you so much. Goodness. <laughs> yes, yes, you've done a lot of things and tried to summarise what you've done that was somewhat a challenge to be honest. I'm, I'm very impressed with your homework. That's, that's excellent. <laughs> well, I just did a bit of uh, um, googling <laughs> and you appeared in you know, a few places. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. And it's lovely to hear as well that you've made reference to my the start of my teaching career, which was in secondary education, because I spent 15 years in secondary um, leading in uh, language education. Before I did this, I call it a modification before I, I switched track and moved into higher education. But at various points in my career, yes, I've worked both in secondary, even in primary education, and also in formal and informal settings in language education. So thank you very much for uh, inviting me. No, no worries. And I'm sure we'll unwrap those things you've done in this episode. But how are you keeping anyway, Teresa? Very good. Thank you. Yes, I'm fine. I've been uh, teaching online this term and I retire at the end of the month and, and this month seems to be going very quickly already. So uh, yes, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you. Oh, wow. 
any plans for retirement? Just a random question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there are lots of things that I will continue to do. I will miss the teaching. I, I will certainly miss working with students because that's that's the most exciting part always of, of teaching. But I, I'm sure I will still be active online because increasingly over the last 10 years or so, I've been more and more present online. So yeah, there's still plenty of work to do there. Okay, that's brilliant. So I've been following the fantastic work you've done in languages, which to be honest, languages is not my um, my strengths. I don't know much in terms of what you do. So for the benefit of um, of our listeners and me, do you want to share a bit about what exactly do you do? Okay, well, my role, which is obviously coming to an end now, it ha- has been in my current context at Warwick has been a teaching lead in e-learning uh, in the School of Modern Languages and Cultures and supporting through learning technology, supporting language tutors as well as teaching. My day-to-day job, if you like, is teaching French. What's been the most exciting about that over the years is that my reach is considerably further than it was when I was teaching in a secondary school with a class in front of me. Even though my classes were very involved in exchange, so we would pop everybody in a bus and we'd drive over to France and we'd do activities in Calais or Boulogne. Nowadays, my reach is much further. So I I taught my last class last night with students who were in China, in India, uh, some of them in Coventry. (laughs) But thanks to COVID, they're dispersed literally all over the world. And we've had the best time, really, actually, the last eight weeks with some business school master's students who have also participated in virtual exchange. So I've also been able to put them on the cyber bus, if you like, and connect them to speakers of French and English over in uh, Clermont-Ferrand in France. So over that journey, the internet has sort of helped plug some holes that, you know, that I really experienced in day-to-day sort of classroom teaching with languages, trying to make it come alive for students. And the internet has been a huge help in that regard. Oh, that's brilliant. And you've touched a couple of important things, actually. You've mentioned plugging the hole and, you know, how, you know, the things that you've done evolved over the years, especially now when technology is kind of I mean, you and I are speaking over over a piece of technology, right? So it's, it's changed so much. And you've touched about virtual exchange. Could you just elaborate a bit about what that is? Yeah. So we've known as language educators for a long time that interaction is really important. Human to human interaction is really important in order to make sense of how a language and a culture work. You can't really teach a language without teaching a culture in terms of understanding how the speakers of that language interpret their world. And physical exchange has been very much part of the language learning ethos, if you like, at all levels, even in primary levels. Little day trips to the country whose language you're learning makes a huge difference. Answers questions that you didn't even know your learners were asking in their heads. But obviously, physical exchange is difficult. I mean, obviously, we're speaking in a time of COVID where it's even harder than usual. But you can't always guarantee that everybody has the finances to be able to participate in school trips or or physical travel. You can't always assume that people have are sort of free of their caring responsibilities in order to, to travel. So when the opportunity to connect through computer-mediated communication came around and gradually, really over the past 10, 15 years or so, got easier and more reliable, it was a kind of a natural progression that we would make sure that people had opportunities to engage in some sort of exchange, some sort of meaningful interaction with 
people whose language they were learning. And there is a virtual exchange definition. So I'll I'll read you the virtual exchange definition that we publish on the Erasmus Plus Evolve Project website. So virtual exchange is a practice supported by research that consists of sustained technology-enabled people-to-people education programs or activities in which constructive communication and interaction takes place between individuals or groups who are geographically separated or from different cultural backgrounds with the support of educators or facilitators. So virtual exchange combines the deep impact of intercultural dialogue and exchange with the broad reach of digital technology. So that's quite a, that's quite a wordy <laughs> definition. But it is kind of an umbrella for what virtual exchange is. Virtual exchange is not about replacing physical mobility. It's not about swapping trips abroad or placements. It's really about encouraging broader take up of interaction between cultures and conversation. And what we look for is everything from the sort of simple information exchange activities where you connect people to other people and very little of this is about the technology a lot of it is about people speaking to people so at the simplest level you're exchanging information at the more complicated level you're then perhaps looking at cultural differences and analyzing the differences and comparisons and at the most complex level you're engaging people in co-creation So you're getting minds to come together, no matter what their cultural background or their experience. In fact, the more different they are, the better. And you're encouraging people then to create together, to work effectively together. And actually, this is a set of skills that's very important in the 21st century, is we encouraging people to to get involved and engaged with each other and to work constructively together. And COVID has really put the, the highlight, the spotlight on that activity and how important it is that actually, you know, we can we can achieve great things if we work effectively together. Um, so this is an important skill set. And I sort of came to this, as I say, from my background in secondary school teaching and physical exchange, then an an interest in technology, as you said, which I was an early adopter of, and an interest in in VoIP, voice over the internet, and a huge frustration that when I wanted to listen or talk to somebody online, in those days we had dial-up, so you had to wait and dial-up and try and get through, and then you had buffering and, you know, you couldn't listen to a smooth conversation. You had to wait while everything downloaded. Things have moved on hugely since then. And yes, I think there's one, a few things that I want to perhaps unwrap your touch on. One thing that I'm, I'm kind of very intrigued is from your French background and then you becoming somewhat a learning technologist. When did you kind of first realise that you want to marry both of those roles together? Yeah, that's, that's interesting, actually, because it's kind of, I was an early adopter of using computers with schools uh, in in school for French teaching. In those days, there were some active uh, computer-assisted language learning uh, researchers in the research community. But as as an individual, even as a head of department within a school, I had very little access to what they were doing. But what I could see were sort of CD-ROMs that they created that I could use with my students. And when I twisted the arm of the IT specialists in the school to let me take students into their wonderful 
classrooms that were only used for IT, which took quite a lot of, in those days, quite a lot of persuasion. I realized that when we were using little CD-ROM programs, the students suddenly saw understood the purpose of language. It wasn't just something that was kind of fun to do in a classroom just together, but that it actually had a function. And that's often really the realization that happens when you take students into sort of physical mobility and they realize that actually they're going to have to mediate their understanding with the shopkeepers or whatever through the language. There is a purpose. It is meaningful. So I very much saw engagement with technology as a way of reaching out to those students who perhaps didn't automatically believe that language learning was meaningful to give them that experience and to find the things that they enjoyed. And I could see that it sort of broadened the interest. Now, I didn't know at the time what a learning technologist was, and I'd never heard of learning technology, particularly as a field. So it was only when I joined Warwick, and probably in the early 2000s, some colleagues made me aware of work that was going on in e-learning at Warwick at the time. And I undertook undertook an award called the Warwick e-learning award based around a project uh, which centered on using voice over the internet. And through that process, I realized that actually this was really something I wanted to to look at in a more scholarly way. So that changed the shift, if you like, of my teaching focus towards scholarship and teaching and specifically looking at uh, technologies and how we use them and, and how we can best use them in language education. And that process kind of led me to come across the Association for Learning Technology out of curiosity, really, I went to a, an alt conference up in the north of England. I think it was in Nottingham, the first one that I went to. I was very warmly invited to a sort of newbies introduction. And I sat in this meeting and we were asked what our role was. And I said, I'm a language teacher. I, you know, I identify as a language teacher but I use technology. So I'm not sure that that really makes me a learning technologist. A feeling at that point that perhaps I ought to sort of bow out and leave the people who really knew about technology to get on with it. But actually it was the reaction I got from Seb and uh, Marin at the time, uh, which was, no, if you're using learning technology, you are a learning technologist. You're a a teacher, but you are a learning technologist. And, And that made me feel, okay, I want to find out more. From that sort of support network, I was really able to look in more depth at the technical side of what I'd always been interested in. My first focus was always on language learning pedagogy, and it remains language learning pedagogy. But the fact that I can make that language learning more effective using technology, that uh, that was really exciting. And that was really the beginning of my sort of practitioner research, action, action research, working with the students, asking them whether the things that we were doing were helping or whether, it, you know, what sort of things they, they valued and starting to sort of document that. That was, that was a really helpful process. But as I say, the human was very important to all of this. The fact that there was a human warm welcome for me at that meeting changed the course of my future, really. So, yeah, they, from that, I'd always been interested, as I mentioned, in computer-assisted language learning, so CALL, which is, has a good sort of 30-odd years of research behind it. But increasingly, because I was interested in the human, seeing computer-mediated communication as a sort of process tool to connect humans, um, I got involved in the work of the computer-mediated communication special interest group within 
uh, Euracool, the European Computer Assisted Language Learning Network. And from that, a whole lot of things started. And I got more and more involved in the sort of European picture and uh, supporting staff and looking at how we could instigate and expand virtual exchange. And kind of at the same time, I was also getting more active online. And that led to a meeting just over a blog uh, with a French educator, an English person in France teaching English, (laughs) who was looking to pair his students with learners of French. And that was kind of a chance meeting. And uh, that led 10 years ago to the setup of what we call Clavier, which is the uh, essentially really a way of implementing virtual exchange in our two institutions. And that became a project, actually, that, as I say, has now lasted for 10 years. Clavier stands for Connected Learning and Virtual Intercultural Exchange Research. (laughs) But it's also the word that stands for keyboard. So it was kind of it was uh, kind of suitable for us. And as that process sort of built, we then had a natural fit as well with the development from Erasmus Plus Virtual Exchange to push this initiative further and more broadly, make people more aware. So the past three years, I've been involved in Erasmus Plus Virtual Exchange, uh, where we've looked at making sure that the learning from the research into virtual exchange is informing the training of teachers and informing the mainstreaming of virtual exchange. And it's also gone beyond language education so that it's interdisciplinary so that we're talking about perhaps anybody from any HEI uh, discipline wanting to connect on a topic, maybe for four weeks, maybe for 10 weeks, but looking at how we as language and cultural experts can support effective use of virtual exchange so that everybody gets a good experience because it can be a hugely transformational experience. And for the past three years, then I've been involved in supporting and running uh, those virtual exchanges under the Erasmus Plus Virtual Exchange initiative from the EU and also been involved in the research on the Erasmus Plus Evolve project um, which is centred around research into virtual exchange. So we've had kind of a, a huge mountain. <laughs> it started. It started off. It was. It's as though you were sort of. You know, you're in the hills, and you can see this sort of on the horizon, a nice gentle slope, and you think, oh yeah, yeah, I'll go up there and have a little look round, and there's woodlands and lots of things to explore, and then you turn a corner and you see this huge mountain, and the next thing you know, you're climbing up that mountain. So that's what I've been doing for the past. 10 years specifically, really, climbing that mountain and and gradually realising that we're not alone, that there are plenty of people who are benefiting from this uh, and enjoying it. And meanwhile, the technology to support the climbing has changed hugely along the way. So we're much more likely to be using social media tools, much more likely to be incorporating what we call MOL, Mobile Assisted Language Learning, Um, looking at how apps can be used, looking at uh, use of video over the internet. So it's really exciting stuff. uh, It's been almost like having a sort of second career, really. It's like uh, bringing what I knew about language learning into a a new context and a, a very vibrant and active one. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's, that's a brilliant story there. And thank you for sharing that with us, uh, Teresa. And I really like the fact that you 
you kind of shared how you fell into learning technology world, how you thought you are not a learning and technologist, but then when you were speaking, I was kind of reflecting just like maybe anyone can be a learning technologist, right? Because you are teaching other people, but then you're somewhat using technology. It can be social media. It can be anything to do with technology. So kind of the scope of being a technologist is quite broad. And I really like the fact that you've kind of provided us a kind of a story to go with that definition. And I just want to go back to about student engagement because you touched on working with students. For the work that you do, I know you well, pre-COVID time, we can uh, you know, go to places more easily and go on trips abroad. And I do miss my trips. <laughs> but how, how did you ensure that uh, your students are engaged in the work that you've done to ensure that they're learning about languages, but learning through the, for example, the partnerships that you do with them? Yeah, I mean, that's, again, been a process. It's a learning process. And I think the thing is, you, you have to just keep your mind open so that there's a stage when you're planning um, a virtual exchange with the tutor partners where you perhaps get a particular idea. There's an aspect of the, maybe your curriculum that you really want to help. And in the case of the French students learning English, they really just wanted additional access to speaking and listening opportunities. In the case of our students, well, they're all at different levels. So some are absolute beginners and some are really very advanced business students. So we tailor the tasks according to the things that are necessary for them to achieve in their uh, structured learning, if you like, so that it forms a practice and a space for uh, additional reinforcement outside the classroom. And a lot of that really comes back to my time from a secondary education, where I found that, you know, when I was preparing students for exams, for example, no matter how hard they worked in class and how much I gave them in class, the light bulb went on for those students once they started to engage in language outside of the classroom, once they kind of took ownership of it and it was something that was theirs. So that really, for me, emphasised how important it is for people to find their study and find their interests aligned and get that sort of critical alignment between, you know, yeah, this is what I have to do in order to pass the exam, but this is what I really enjoy. And the beauty of connecting people to people is that they can find things that they share in common or that they're interested in. So when we do the sort of grouping exercise or we allow students or help students to discover each other, we also make sure that they can see the interests of each other so that they can connect at some level first. And often they're very, very different students. The, the Clermont-Ferrand students are in the majority a sports science students. The Warwick students in the majority, again, it's sort of generalising because we teach right across the university, but in the majority they are very serious academic students, usually sort of historians or business school students. So on the face of it, you think they have very little in common, but of course they're all of an age and of a culture and of a generation. So they usually manage to find things that they are interested in and what that has led to is some really surprising things for example when there have been sort of memes going on in social media we've had our students who've decided yeah that we're going to make this and share it with Clermont Ferrand so the some of the sort of activities that are out there that sort of get shared as hashtags 
we do the students then sort of take that on themselves and make their own version and share it whether it's little videos they've done the, the filmmaking or they've uh, shared pictures or picked up on tags within um, Instagram and connected over things like that. So really what it's about is making sure that not only what they do is relevant to their study, but also relevant to their lives. So again, the human is there and, and they can direct it themselves. So one of the first things we did very early on with Clevier was we, we asked a group of students in Clermont-Ferrand who were design students to design a logo for us. And we had a little competition and they came up with a logo. We've also involved students in the sort of process of designing tasks. What would be the most useful thing for us to do? Because we use open badges to recognise the steps that they've gone through and uh, the things that they've done. And that also helps from the research we've done into that, that helps them to recognise that even what they perhaps consider as kind of a frivolous thing, like uh, sending a message on Twitter or using a, a hashtag to aggregate some content on an area, they think that's, you know, it's just a bit of fun. But actually, it's a step on the road to engaging your social media, your, your um, sort of presence online for a learning end rather than just for a social end or just for, for um, a laugh. So they start to discover a, a, a new way of capitalising on the various communication channels that we have these days to achieve what they want to achieve in terms of their study. Um, so it's very much about looking at communication as a huge, broad tableau. We all communicate, but we tend to kind of reserve some forms of communication for some types of task. What we tend to do within virtual exchanges help students realise that there are all sorts of different things that you can achieve in different channels. And also to help them become more aware of issues like safety and privacy, appropriate language, appropriate behaviour in different contexts. So it's a really useful way of engaging students in that sort of 21st century skills debate and that doesn't just apply to our students that applies to our staff as well it really does hinge on staff realizing that they have to step back and allow the students sometimes to take control and to lead the way sometimes our role is to be there if we're needed Although the uptake of it is impacted on very favourably if we recognise it, in other words, if we assess either through e-portfolios or we give credit for the work, and let's face it, this, this is work and it does take time, so it ought to be recognised, it's still a valuable thing to do just to raise awareness you know, of who you are online and, um, and how important it is to have some critical digital skills to reflect on your safety online to reflect on your presence online as staff we need to do that as well definitely and yeah brilliantly you kind of mentioned how your students are engaged the way that you've kind of incorporated them in your learning and making them feel they are the owners of their learning and really like the fact you've touched upon you know a couple of benefits there in terms of learning other skills just the kind of the knowledge for their their academic study but it's also the soft skills that gives them that lifelonging kind of opportunities ahead also, you mentioned about connecting with others. So you've mentioned connecting with another school in France. And, you know, it's difficult in those days, you know, years, 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 I'm talking about years ago when it's hard to connect with people, right? But now with technology, you can do that. You've mentioned like lots of benefits, but how about the risks? What are the risks, do you think, of using virtual exchange uh, and its implications in, in the educational spaces? 
Yeah, I mean, there, there clearly are risks of any, you know, of doing anything. There are risks in terms of putting, you know, a bunch of people on a bus and driving across the border. There are always risks. But it's about, it's not about getting rid of risk. It's not about being risk averse. It's about surfacing those risks and encouraging awareness. And, you know, where, where possible, reducing, minimising risk through knowledge, through learning. Better to do that within if you like, the, the support of tutors. So we as tutors, when we connect and set up a task, and this has happened in the past, where we used to use a G plus space, for example, and sometimes the, the nature of some of the interactions, it's, it, it's totally informal. It's, you know, let's meet up and talk to each other. But the nature of some of the interactions we weren't comfortable with. But, but the fact that that happens means that we can have that conversation and we can have an open conversation about what is appropriate, even in an informal space. And, and that's really important. And we talk about soft skills, but actually it's soft skills that are the most important probably in, in our lives in general. Soft skills are what help us mediate um, conversations and communication with real people. So being a, being a good communicator, being uh, appropriate, being considerate, being careful, um, being aware, all of these things have to be, in French, you, you talk about éveil, awakening. They have to be awoken within the individual. And, and that only happens if you, A, create a sort of secure space. So the ethos where everybody trusts each other um, and be you you know as you come across these things you don't overreact but you deal with those things at the time and and transparently and help people understand um, the nature of communication and the importance of things like power balance and things like uh, appropriate and inappropriate language use which which is all part of language learning you know that the nature of words one of the things all my students have always reminded me of since my very early days of teaching French was that they really wanted to know what French people really say. And, the, you know, the, the, what does that really mean? <laughs> and you do get that opportunity. Quite honestly, we learn a huge amount from our students because they are more plugged in and more quick to notice things online. Often I find, OK, they, you, they have to explain that to me. So, you know, what, what do you mean by a meme and why do I need to understand memes and uh, you know what are the messages that are coming through from this particular use of Instagram for example it's really quite exciting the sort of possibility and the potential within virtual exchange but that's just within my field of language people working in business people working in history people working in lots and lots of different disciplines connecting their students for a short time to learn together and to learn side by side when you give practitioners opportunities and you train them they they can come up with some amazing projects and we know that we get very positive reviews from students who've participated um, so because we're doing that on Erasmus Plus Virtual Exchange with lots of um, sort of research around it and looking at the impact, we publish on the Erasmus Plus Virtual Exchange um, documents that show the impact. But in 2019, we've had 27,214 students engaged, or people engaged in Erasmus Plus Virtual Exchange, either students within exchanges or practitioners being trained. 
23,000 of them, or 23,126, are young people who've participated in exchanges. 87% of those young people are either satisfied or very satisfied with their virtual exchange experience. 99% of trainees rated their training as high or very high. And in terms of skill building, 88% of participants mentioned participation has had a positive impact on their ability to work in a culturally diverse workplace. In today's society, pretty much everybody will be doing that. <laughs> so it's very, very important that we do make sure that as many people as possible can take part in these sorts of experiences. And what I would always say is, you know, make sure you speak to a linguist or you involve a linguist in your exchange if you're from another discipline and languages isn't your thing. Because the language research that's happened through CALL, computer assisted language learning, and through CMC, computer mediated language learning, has been very good at capturing failure. So we're very, very good at knowing what we're not happy with. <laughs> we have literally thousands of papers published on how how and when things went wrong and what we could do to make it better so with that great sort of base of things we know we can improve we can support and make virtual exchange more effective for other disciplines so that's we'd like to see that as a as a contribution that we can make to the future of higher education there's, there's a lot of good content there um teresa and if we may just finish maybe with a one last question and you've touched upon the future there as well, you know, and the contribution from everyone. And it's more about the collaboration with different disciplines together. So if uh, people who are listening into this episode, they're not very confident in terms of getting started in virtual exchange would be Teresa's one top tip only to get started in virtual exchange. My, my one top tip would be Google the word uni collaboration. <laughs> Unicollaboration.org is the lead body for connecting virtual exchange practitioners in higher education. It's an international body of people, many of whom have come from language education, not all, but many of whom, well, all of whom have, have had considerable experience in using virtual exchange over the past 10 years. So it's a network uh, and a membership organization. Up until the end of this year, all our training is free because it was covered by Erasmus Plus Virtual Exchange. We don't know going forward exactly where, where that will come from, whether, whether Erasmus Plus will con continue to fund virtual exchange, but we know that we are committed to continue to do that. So if you contact us, we will help progress your uh, ambitions for virtual exchange with your students and same with students as well because actually there are work opportunities for students in terms of learning to be a dialogue facilitator learning to to mediate interculturally that's all done virtually so from your own room you can be working with six students based all over the world and helping them to feel heard and to understand each other more fairly and equitably everything that we've made on both the Virtual Exchange Evolve project and Erasmus Plus Virtual Exchange is available from the websites and can be downloaded free and openly. Great. I mean, we can, we can spend a whole day talking um, on the things that you do. Okay, let's just end with a fun part then, because you've shared a lot about the work that you do and 
you know, we can go on forever uh, with this episode. But let's just stop there for now. And if people, I think people want to uh, listen more, they can go onto your website. But if if we finish this episode with a fun part, then I've got a list of short firing questions I know, for our listeners to know you and myself to know you a bit more. These should be quite simple. So I'm not expecting a long answer, but let's see how it goes. Okay. Are you ready then, Teresa? I think so. <laughs> Great. First question, tea or coffee? Oh, tea every time. Every time? Every time. Fruit tea, preferably, but yes, tea. Okay. Invisibility or super strengths? Oh, difficult. If I, if I chose super strengths, can I choose empathy? That's fine. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> what are your favourite hashtags? Um, LTHE chat, <laughs> for reasons you'll well be aware of. And virtual exchange, of course. Right. If you are to pick one learning or teaching platform or tool, what would it be? I'd have to go for, and it's, and it's kind of, it isn't really one, um, it's a sort of suite of stuff, but I would, I would go for the Google suite because there's so many useful tools and yeah, it's so, it's so helpful. So yeah, I would go Google suite. So what do you do to recharge your energy after a long, stressful day of work? Honestly, I'd have to say probably a glass of red wine. (laughs) (laughs) Every day? No, not every day. (laughs) Just a particularly stressful day. But I have to say LTHE chat has also been a great recharger on a Wednesday night. Yes, definitely. A shame that we can't do LTHE chat every day of the week, though. Well, yeah, I mean, many of us continue, obviously, to interact on Twitter. Edu Twitter is, is just the best. You know, if, you, if you've cultivated your feed, there's always great stuff going on. So other than your phone or your computer or laptop or any you know, technology, what would be the one best thing to carry around to show students or colleagues in corridors? Oh, that's interesting. Um, probably, my, probably my Association for Learning Technology badge, because that's my, that's my computer-assisted community. That's my community of practice. And for me personally, that's been a network that has brought me so many things and so much enjoyment that why would I not want to tell others about it? So yeah, my my alt badge, I think. Fantastic. Three words to describe yourself as an educator. Don't think too hard on this. (laughs) Okay, I'll try and be spontaneous. As an educator, off the wall, is that a word? Is that an adjective? Is that a single word? That could be one. I'm stretching you, are stretching the boundaries a little bit. But I, I think it's very important to do stuff that people aren't expecting. So yeah, doing, doing the unexpected is actually quite important. The second one would be listen, a, a listener. And it, it's really important to, to, the third one is part of that, to care. So if there's something um, that you've spotted, listen more. If there's something you don't understand, listen more. And when you've heard as much as you can bear, you must care to take action. Brilliant, brilliant. Your favourite online badge, other than your alt badge you just mentioned. Oh, right, okay. Favourite online badge as in a digital badge? Yes. Would probably be my... I presume so, because that's what you do. (laughs) Well, well, yes, I do quite a bit of that, that's true. And I have got probably at least 80 badges. Um, Probably I'd go for my Creative Commons um, certification okay. because that that was a really interesting journey for me um, and yeah I, I'm very proud of, of the badges I've had for open education. Brilliant your favourite music genre 
Oh, it would have to be indie. Ah, okay, okay. I'm learning a bit about you now. How about this one then? Your alternative career that you secretly wished you had but never actually pursued? Well, I, I do remember as a child always wanting to be a vet and I do love animals. So yeah, possibly, possibly I would have gone down that route looking after animals. But there's, there's something about connecting with animals that, uh, that is very important for me. Yeah. Your favourite learning and teaching hero? Oh, there's so many, there's so many. But I'd have to go with Sir Ken. Sir Ken would have to be up there, Sir Ken Robinson. Okay, fantastic. And finally then, because our podcast is called The Education Burrito, what's your favourite burrito fillings? That would have to be some nice spiced chicken and salad. Yeah, nice, a nice spicy with, with a few jalapenos oh, in there. That's good. Maybe that will get to need to write that recipe down next time we see you to actually bring you that burrito yeah yeah that would be great a night occasion chicken burrito with peppers and carrots and yeah lovely (laughs) (laughs) well fantastic and that's all we have time for in this episode and if our listeners want to find out more about what you do Teresa how can they do so the easiest thing is to put my name into any search engine, I think. <laughs> it's probably the quickest. So feel free to Google me because I have a couple of blogs um, out there and a website. And of course, if you're on Twitter, connect with me as at Warwick Language on Twitter. Great. And again, a massive big thank you to you, Theresa McGinnon, for sharing with us your work in virtual exchange amongst everything that you do as well. So thank you so much for your time in uh, speaking to us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's been great fun and I look forward to that burrito one day. Thank you so much for your time and tuning into the Education Burrito. Make sure to hit the subscribe button on whichever platform you're listening on and be sure to like it and share it on social media, tagging us at the hashtag the Education Burrito. If you have enjoyed our chat today and fancy coming onto the show, no matter as a student or member of staff, do drop us a message as we unwrap learning and teaching in the education burrito.